Let's meet Avram Avinu this week and with that start to learn a revolutionary approach to how to serve Hashem. The first three parashas of the Torah represent three templates of spiritual service in ascending order. Avram Avinu revolutionizes the world as he prepares us to receive the Torah and this teaches us three different modes of service of Hashem and then how the Torah takes us to a completely different level of commitment. And we're going to start this all from a very well-known saying, at least well-known amongst Chabad Hasidim. With regards to this week's parashah, we well know what the Friedrich Rebbe says, in the name of the Rebbe in the following words, Parsha Bereishis is Afrelech, etc. The first parish of the Torah Bereishis is a joyous parish, of course. Debesha Borchot, Bashafim, Velten, and Ivroim. Debesha created worlds and created beings. But the Seifun, the Sedis, Afilinita, Gora, Zegishmak. The end of Parshas Bereishis, not such a positive feeling. Parashas Noyach is the Mabel. Parashas Noyach centers on the story of the flood. It's, it's a Kalamute Nevoch. It's kind of depressing week. But at the end, the, w- the week ends on a positive note, as the Giborin Gevorim Avram Avinu, because Avram is born and there's a light that shines in the world. But says the Rebbe Rashab, the Emes Freilich Avoch is Aber, which is really the happy week of the of the three. Parshas Lech Lecha, our parsha this week, was alle Teg von Voch Lebmen mit Avram Avinu Chulei, because throughout the entire week, every day of the week, we live with Avram Avinu. So. Noting that the Rebbe Rashab says that only Lechacha is the truly joyous week, is Kentik that implies, as I feel in them, from Parashas Noyach, that even at the end of Parashas Noyach, which describes Avram of his birth, which is positive, is not Nito the Emes Simcha, Azoiv in the Voch von Lechacha. That is not as joyous and happy as that is. It is not yet true joy, as we'll discover only in Parshas Lech Lecha. Varum, how so, why so? Because everything that is collated in the same parasha is obviously related. Seeing as Noach is generally not a joyous parasha, that also detracts from the joy at the end of the parasha when Avram Avinu is born because it's under the cloud of the primary story of the Mabel and of course what caused it. Likewise with Bereshis. In spite of the fact that Bereshis is generally an upbeat Sedra because it talks about creation. Nevertheless, is as the Rebbe Hashab says, the end of the parasha is not so enjoyable. That indicates to us that there isn't real true joy throughout the rest of the parasha. Joyous, yes, true joy, no. There's a very logical question the Rebbe raises that we may well never have thought of when the parashas were divided up. Why divide them in this way? When you consider that the general theme of Parashas Bereshis is positive and joyous, and Parashas Noyach is generally more, da- da- you know, down, more almost depressed. Surely, then the way we split up the Parashas should have been as the nit geshmakasim from Parashas Bereshis. 
So Zayin the Aschol of Parshas Noach. Surely it should have been that the bad news at the end of Parshas Bereshis should have actually been introduced at the beginning of Parshas Noach. Then Bereshis could have been a joyous Parsha throughout. On the Freilich aside from Parshas Noach, let us Avram Avinu, and likewise the good news at the end of Parshas Noach that Avram Avinu is born. So Zayin the Anoy from Parshas Lech Lecha should have been removed from Parshas Noach, so it wouldn't be tainted by the negativity of that Parsha and should have been put into the beginning of Parshas Lech Lecha, which would then make it, of course, suit the theme of joy. Unless, of course, there's something more subtle happening over here. And the Klolus Habir in them, the explanation of the subtlety is as follows. Sis Yodua, let's introduce a principle which is going to help us understand everything that's going on over here because we know as mit Avrom Avinu, from the time of Avrom Avinu, was der Ilu from Pashas Lech is Kenal, was Teg von der Voch, Lepmen mit Avrom Avinu. Obviously, that's going to speak to the nature of Lech Lecha and why it is such a joyous parasha because we will live with Avrom Avinu. So, what is it that we need to know about Avrom Avinu? Well, what we need to know is that from his time, he launched the two millennia that would bring Torah into this world and culminate, of course, in Matan Torah. Oner is given the erste von die Oves, and therefore he was the first person and the first out of our Oves, who began the preparations for Matan Torah. Key information, Avram Avinu begins the preparations for Matan Torah. That means anything that happened before Avram Avinu was not yet preparing for Matan Torah, and that's really important to know. Of Abal, so what's Matan Torah all about that he's preparing for? Of Abal, as Matan Torah hot uvgiton dem chibufun elionim sachtonim, as we very well know, the great achievement of Matan Torah was to bridge and harmonize and synthesize the higher spiritual realms and the lower material realm. Is misdarvus? So logically, you can understand then. Azayich the Yisrim from Parshas Lech Lecha, the greatness, the advantage of Parshas Lech Lecha, was the ganze sedra retzach vegan Avram Avinu, where the entire parsha. Is, is built around and tells the story of Avram Avinu. So the greatness of Parshas Lech Lecha Oyuf Di Fridukat's face Sedris over Bereshus and Noach is in them, is in them, is the Achonot to Chibar Elyonim Sachtonim has to be because Lech Lecha begins the preparation for Matan Torah, i.e., begins the preparation for harmonizing the higher and lower realms. So we need to keep that in mind. We're going to be talking about the higher realms, we're going to be talking about the lower realms, and we're going to be talking about the harmony of the two and the greatness of Avram Avinu and of Parshas Lech Lecha and the joy that it brings us is the successful harmony of the two. By the way, that is why Lech Lecha is the third parish in Torah. It's not accidental, accidental, which is similar to the fact that the Torah is threefold, Torah, Nevi'im, Ksuvim, because the Kavashlishi, the third dimension or channel within spiritual energies, which is Ha'em Tsoi, the middle channel, so it's not an extreme channel, is the reality and the channel that brings the other extremes together. So right and left are extremes. Up and down, high and lower are extremes. And the Kavayim Tsoi is what harmonizes them all together. So the number three represents that harmony. And therefore, it's no surprise that Lech Lecha is the third parasha. But we're going to explain it in greater detail. Das in other words, as parashas Bereshis the Ershta Sedra, Bereshis being the first parasha, is all about creation, which is the Eibishter's achievement. The Eibishter created the world and therefore Parashas Bereshis represents El Yoinim, reality as it is in the higher realm, Hashem's choices, Hashem's perspective. 
The Teichma Parsha is Noyach, whereas Noyach's content, the Tzveta Seder being the second Parsha, is all about taking the world in its collapsed and toxic form and elevating and refining it. The Avoida for Noyach Ish Tzadik, which was achieved firstly through Noyach's personal Avoida as the righteous person of that generation, or by Frat Durchan Mabel, and specifically through the Mabel, which was like a grand mikveh that purified and elevated the whole world. So therefore, the second parasha focuses on Tachtoin, in what is going on in the lower realms. So there's a gap between Elyonim Bereshis, Tachtoinim Noyach. On Parshas Lech Lecha, Didjita Sedra, therefore, when you come to Lech Lecha, which is the third parasha, is in your no chibur elyonim v'sachtonim. You must identify in Parshas Lech Lecha how the two realities meld together and harmonize. And we'll examine how that is. On their mitvet time verstandig. And that's why, or that will help us understand, was Parshas Noyach hoptechon mit, how does Parshas Noyach begin by telling us, Ele told us Noyach, Noyach is tzadik goimer. These are the generations of Noyach, the products of Noyach, the deeds of Noyach, who was a tzadik. We're talking about things that Noyach has achieved. We're talking about avoida, about input from the lower realm upwards. As Rashi tells us, told us same tzaddikim ma'isim tovim. That when it talks about told us noyach, it's actually talking about his good deeds. So in other words, the parasha begins by telling us about human endeavor tachtoinim. Mashenkin leidas noyach v'chole. Whereas the fact that noyach was born, which is not his achievement, bees v'noyach motzachem bein Hashem. Even the point that noyach was somebody who found favor in Hashem's eyes. Those are things that Noach did not achieve through effort. You don't work to be born, and he didn't necessarily work to be favored by Hashem. That was something that was initiated from on high from Hashem. Don't belong in Parashas Noach. They belong in Parashas Bereshis where the theme is what Hashem gives. He gives to the world, creation, he gives to Noach. So that helps us to understand why part of Noach's story is told in Parashas Bereshis. And likewise, we can understand why certain aspects of Avram Avinu's early life are not recorded in Parshas Lechlecha, but rather nor in Parshas Noyach in the preceding Parsha. Why? The time different is. But Avram Avinus Avinus big achievement, which is his work to prepare to receive the Torah, which achieves the harmonizing of the higher and lower realities. It only began with Unach and following Lech Lecha Goimer. Only from Lech Lecha, that's when that avoider began. When Avram is arose from Choron, Kenneret Yisrael, when Avram Avinu left the very unhealthy environment of Choron and went to Eretz Yisrael, which is Debeshter's environment. Mashenken leides Avram Avinu, whereas the fact that Avram Avinu was born, Un Zayne Inyone avoided Biz Lech Lecha, and whatever avoides Hashem he did prior to Lech Lecha, they actually belong to and are a continuation of the elevation of the lower worlds which is described in Parashas Noyach. In other words, Avram Avinu in his early life is still doing a similar avoid to Noyach, fixing the world, raising the world, refining the world, making it a healthier place. 
So that's where Avram Avinu is effectively concluding a type of Avoidah that began with Noach, and therefore that story belongs in Noach. But Lech Lecha is a new story. It's no longer about making the world a more habitable, uh, a more happy, healthy place. It's about fusing the world with godliness. Now let's understand this better, and in order to understand it, so we'll, uh, we'll have a look at some of Avram Avinu's unique behavior. How do we link Lech Lecha and its themes to Matan Torah? Where in Lech Lecha do we have evidence that this is where Avram Avinu began his work to prepare the world to receive the Torah and to be transformed through the Torah? So in order to understand this, we're going to look at what the Medrash does. The Medrash says, the fact that Hashem told Avram Avinu to go away from Choron and to the unidentified place, which eventually would be Eretz Yisrael. So the Medrash links that, the Medrash links that to Avram Avinu's unique conduct, never happened in human history before, where he requested and he begged for, for compassion, even for such rogues like the Sodomites. Which is completely different to Noach, who went about his, his avoider. Okay, I've got to build a teva, I'll build a teva. I've got to put my family on it, I'll put my family on it. And he doesn't argue with Hashem or try to defend or daven on behalf of the wicked people of his generation. So the Medrash links Lech Lecha, the process of leaving Choron, with this principle that Avram Avinu is willing to daven for those who are apparently not deserving. So the Chere is not move on. doesn't seem to make sense. The fact that Avram Avinu was willing to ask for divine mercy on behalf of the people of Sodom, we know from the, the way that Avram Avinu words his petition to Hashem that the entire argument was if we can find Sadikim in Sodom, let them protect the other people in Sodom. In fact, the Zohar is even somewhat, almost critical of this, where it says, The Zohar makes the comment that because Avram Avinu's entire argument was only based on the possibility of there being tzaddikim who could carry the load and save the people. And when Avram Avinu reached the point where the Ebeshte informed him that there are not even ten tzaddikim in the four cities of of Sodom, he stopped asking, which is not as committed or, or not as, as, as uh, persistent as Moshe Rabbeinu, where not only did Moshe Rabbeinu ask for tzaddikim to use their credits on behalf of everybody else, but Moshe Rabbeinu asked for those people who had sinned and made the Egel Azov to be forgiven. Says the Zoyar is that Avram Avinu didn't do as best as he possibly could have. 
So if that's the case, Tavos is the Gedel HaIlifun Adian Haga. So then, what's the big achievement of Avram Avinu? Levakesh Rachamim Al Asadoimim Bischus Hatzadikim to beg for mercy for Sadoim on behalf of the Tzadikim. Bismen Farbin Das Mitten to the extent that we say that is linked to Inyan Fun Lech Lecha, as the Medrash tells us the whole story of Lech Lecha. Vos Dermit Hotzichon Gaben Diachonot Zematan Torah, which we've identified is the beginning of preparing the world for. If the Zoyar says it's not as good as it could have been, why is that a preparation to Matan Torah? Now this question will launch a whole perspective to help us understand what's effectively three phases of development represented by Bereshis, by Noyach, and by Avram Avinu. First of all, what we have to acknowledge as a reality is that the ability to fuse the high and lower realms was only activated once the Torah was given. That's the Chiddush of Matan Torah. And Avraham Avinu obviously lived before that. When Avraham Avinu Savoid is given nor dertzu. So all Avraham Avinu could do was lay the groundwork and prepare for Matan Torah. But he couldn't yet have the experience of Matan Torah. Therefore, even when he does intercede on behalf of those lowly people of Sodom, is given nit mitzad atzmam. He couldn't see value in them. He needed to find external schus from other people living in their environment that could help them. But there's no way to bring the elyonim into the tachtonim. There's no way to bring schus into those people who are the sinners. In other words, the three different displays of behavior by Noach and then by Avram Avinu and Moshe Rabbeinu represent three phases. Noach lives in the time when not only is it prior to the giving of the Torah, but it's even prior to being able to prepare for the giving of the Torah. So you can't do anything which is along the lines of Chibur Elyonim V'tachtonim. Then Beis HaChonel Matan Torah, you have Avram Avinu who lives in a different space and time where he could begin to prepare for Matan Torah and therefore do things which are similar to what would occur once the Torah was given. And then Gimel Matan Torah, the third stage, obviously is once the Torah is given. And then you have the possibility for true fusion. In the Tkufa from Far to Matan Torah, say Noyach's time, which is even before the period of the 2,000 years that include preparation for Matan Torah, at that stage, at that stage, the higher reality and the lower reality, the spiritual and the physical, the holy and the mundane, had absolutely no link or connection. So therefore, so therefore, it didn't enter the realm of possibility for Noyach to daven to save the lowly people. Lo avad midi, he did nothing because there was nothing to do. The world of schus, of merits, is divorced from the world of these people who are the Durhamabal. There's no way to save them. Whereas in the Tzvetet Kufa, in the second chapter of Jewish history, or of history of the world, where now there's a major revolution starting to percolate, namely the possibility to prepare for a world that brings higher and lower together. 
That's why Avram Avinu could now start to daven on behalf of the people of Sodom, but he still needed the tzaddikim to assist their merits or their possibility for being saved. And then the third phase, which is after the Torah is given, where there is the fusion of high and lower realities, then Moshe Rabbeinu could actually daven on behalf of the sinners, those who made the Egel Azov. He didn't have to pull in favors and say, well, there may be a tzaddikim who could protect them. He could actually see value in them, in the Tachtonim themselves. So so this distinction that we've made now through these three phases prior to preparing for Matan Torah, the era of preparation for Matan Torah and Matan Torah itself, and the fact that that's linked to three different modes of behavior, not davening for the bad guys, only davening for the bad guys if you can find tzaddikin to support them, or actually helping the bad guys as Moshe Rabbeinu did, we'll be able to understand this better with a mushal. But before we get to that mushal, just to clarify, this will also distinguish the era represented by Parashas Noyach. When the avoider was to begin to make the world a clearer, cleaner, better place. Can I sit base? On that kufa from Parshas Bereishis, when the Amshach of Ashpoim felt is given mitzad mal meile kenalsham, compared to Parshas Bereishis, where there is no work yet from below, it's all gifted from on high. It's the Abish's input. Which, of course, doesn't preclude the possibility that there were tzaddikim who lived between Adam and Noach, including obviously Adam, who also did avoda. So to understand this very well, that when Clarif Ashtein Durch HaMoshel will understand it with a parable from Ashpoas HaSeichel Mirav LeTalmid. When you have an incredible teacher teaching an ordinary student, there are three possible ways that the teacher could teach the student which will reflect three possible phases of the development of our world. Ein Oifen is one possibility of how the teacher teaches. As the Rav The teacher holds the controls. The teacher only shares with the student what the teacher will share with the student. But he doesn't invest time and energy and effort to train the student to understand things on his own. So this teacher has got a guaranteed lifetime job because he never empowers the students. So all of the teaching is 100% dependent on him and he feels amazing. People always need to come to me to learn. And the second possibility is that not only does the teacher share information with the student, but more importantly, the teacher shares methodology with the student. And trains the student to become intellectually self-sufficient. Far greater level of teaching. And of course, each of these two methods has an advantage the other one cannot have. Because if I'm looking from the perspective of the development of the Talmud's capacity for learning and his abilities, 
Well, then there's no question. Then for sure, the second approach is a much better approach because the teacher is empowering the student. Better for the student. Because this is an approach that empowers the student to now be able to use his mind independently. Well, yet, if I'm looking from a different perspective of, but if I'm looking at the quality of information that's being shared, then the first approach is far better because the student will never be at the level of the, of the teacher. So whatever the student will get to understand of his own accord, because he's been given the tools by his teacher, and therefore can actually learn and understand Whatever that student will ever come to understand will be a fraction of what the teacher understands. If the teacher is now speaking from his perspective, the Talmud is actually getting something of a far higher quality. So the advantage of the first approach is the quality of the content. The advantage of the second approach is the quality of the student. And then there's a third approach, Adrita Oifren. Which brings both advantages into the same space. What is that approach? Is as the where the teacher has such a profound impact on the student as the that he develops the student to the point that the student becomes a teacher, not just capable of learning, but capable of teaching, not just capable of teaching, but at the level of the of the rav himself. Then you have both advantages. The ability for the person to self-propel, to learn and innovate on his own, and the value of that high-level quality because he's now a teacher of his own. So we can now identify the three eras represented by the three parishes that start off the Torah. They correlate with or relate to these three approaches of, of student to teacher or teacher to student. If we if we examine how the tzaddikim who lived from the time of Adam Arishan until the time of Noach, how they had an impact or influence and how they served Hashem, is it was very much about what the Eibishter shared with them. And very little was their own volition, was their own motivation. It's all gifts from Hashem. And there's a great example we can look at. Hazoi Chanoich. Vaschoch as tzaddik hoya. See, you've got a person, Chanoich, the Torah identifies as a tzaddik. Nit kuken dik vaserot gelept in ador mushchas, despite living in a corrupted generation. Vostos vaistifs and gedel ho avoida nit tsunispol verno mushpa verno from bene doiroi. The fact that he could be a tzaddik in that environment tells you how deep his work was to remain immune. Yet the Torah indicates and the Mephoshim tell us that he was actually very susceptible to influences, negative influences. 
Und Euber wollte noch ein mächtiges Mann verblieben zwischen Bnei Doroi. Hat Hanoich lived longer in that unhealthy environment, wollte sich mit Misgaber gewinnen finden, he would not have been able to withhold and withstand the external pressures on the river. Mira, Kaddish Baruch of Asilkai, that's what Eibesher, as the Pasuk says, The Eibesher took him at a younger age. Valdos was tzaddik hoyo because that is illustrative of the kind of tzaddik who lived at that time. Why was Chanoich a tzaddik or any of his contemporaries? His beikir given was primarily not because of his own efforts or abilities. Rather, it's because the Ebishter allowed him access to a higher dimension, to an awareness, to a spiritual light. On the river, and that's why, if he had been left for longer in this horrible world, well, then what would have happened is, he would have entered a reality where the light couldn't penetrate anymore. He would not have had the personal capacity to maintain his holiness, his tzitkus, from tzitkus for free. And he would have fallen. That's the first phase, the phase of Beratius. David is radiating inspiration and energy and light into the world. And if it pauses for a second, everybody's going to fall to pieces. And that takes us back to the first possibility of how the teacher teaches. Even though the student understands what the teacher is teaching him and even works hard to make sure that he understands it well, the student is not yet empowered to generate his own insight and his own wisdom. That's the first era. Now, from Noach, things change. And for the next generation, the next 10 generations till Avram Avinu, is showing now there's a whole different focus, which is not reliance on divine inspiration. Now suddenly there's personal responsibility. What are we going to do? How are we going to work with the world? How are we going to make the world a better place? And that's why you start to see people who start to have an influence outside of their own immediate space. We don't find that between Adam and Noach, that there's people reaching out, touching, affecting others. Let's look at Noach as an example. Not only was he a good person, a righteous person, a wholesome person, even against the backdrop of his generation. Not only is he not susceptible to bad, bad influences like Chanoich, but more than that. He engaged his generation and he rebuked them. And he told them, as the Gemara tells us, that they should do tshuva. He stepped beyond himself because he's working in the world and with the world and trying to change the world. And that's Noach before the Mabel. How much more so Noach and the following generations after the Mabel? After the Mabel, Noach brought Karbonus, which had an impact that caused them that the should give a guarantee to the world I'll never destroy the world again the natural cycles will never cease again 
to the point that it was actually going to be illustrated to us on a regular basis with a sign of Hashem's covenant from Keshes, the rainbow, which the rainbow itself, as the Rebbe explained in a previous Sicha, which we actually learned not so long ago, the, the rainbow itself is a sign of a more refined world that allows the light in. Yet, but when you consider that Noach and his contemporaries were primarily focused on the lower reality and working with that reality, which is a reality that is infinitely removed from consciousness of Hashem, connection to Hashem in an open way, so whatever divine revelation they were able to stimulate and, and generate into the world was very limited to the wavelength of the lower reality. To the extent that we said that Noach even lacked a certain degree of emunah. That his comprehension, his appreciation of godliness was mainly as far as intellect could reach. That's his, that was his relationship with Hashem, his perspective of Hashem. But higher, more advanced, more subtle dimensions of godliness that can't be processed by the mind and can only be accessed through super-rational emuna. That are completely supernatural. They belong to the higher realms. That was something that had limited access to or experience of. Because he's invested in the lower worlds. He's invested in the material, physical space. And that's his, that's his stage. That's his, that's his platform. And that's similar to the second version of how the teacher teaches the student. That when the student actually does get empowered to the extent that he is able to innovate new perspectives in Torah, it is only in his realm of understanding. And that's that's nowhere close to the kind of insight that the teacher could provide. And then you get the third dimension or experience in the avoid of Avram Avinu given Avram Avinu brings both values to the table. The value of high level intensity of divine revelation and the value of avoid personal human growth and work. As we know from the Rambam that the way that Avram Avinu began his avoida was quite rational, thinking about the world. There has to be a creator. By examining the physical reality, there's a sun, there's a moon, who's controlling it all. So he looked in the realm of Tachtonim in order to come to an appreciation of Hashem. But he didn't stop there. In spite of starting from such a strong rational basis, he reached a point of being unquestioning of Hashem. As the Pasuk says, that his heart was completely committed. He accepted godliness with a sincerity and simplicity that is usually reserved for simple people, like a simple slave, a servant. 
Baderech Zeh, but in Gertz is an avoid and person with a kuspa oilam. And likewise, that's Avraham Avinu's personal avoida, but you'll actually identify the same paradoxical harmony in his avoida tackling the world. Azoich in them, Zanin Given Bein Amalis. Yeah, both sides. The message that Avram Avinu shared with the world that there's a creator, that you have to acknowledge Hashem, was beyond the faculties of the average person. And yet he brought it down into their language to the point that they heard it, that their people joined him. To the extent that even the simplest of people could follow what he was, what he was saying. And that is, and that's similar to the third possibility of how the teacher not only teaches and empowers the student, but transforms the student. Where the impact is so great that the, the faculties of the student become akin to the faculties of the teacher. Now you'd think that's it. We've, we've reached the ultimate. You need to remember that's only hachona le matan Torah. That's only a preparation to matan Torah. Even that third achievement, the third state of sharing and empowering and teaching, where you achieve success to the point that the student's faculties become likened to the teacher's faculties, that is only to illustrate to us how the period preparing for Matan Torah worked. The achievement of Avram Avinu's Avoida. But it's a neat oifen chibur gufa vasikivarim Matan Torah. That doesn't yet explain what the world looks like once the Torah is given and we truly fuse the higher and lower realities. The fact that the teacher's input in our parable was so potentially powerful that could actually transform the faculties of the student to become like the faculties of the teacher. Is obviously only possible if the student was smart. Somebody who was in a position to be able to absorb what the teacher had to share. Which tells you that that student was never really down in the spiritual dumps or intellectual lowly category. And wasn't truly light years away from the teacher. It was actually open to the teacher's input. In other words, yes, the teacher transformed the student, but the student was a suitable candidate for the transformation. Nochmer. Take it a step further. Because what we're describing over here is that the Talmud becomes so refined and elevated that he is now similar to the faculties of his teacher. That implies First, as we've already said, obviously the student was not completely off the track. He was obviously a candidate who was suitable for this kind of input and this kind of transformation. 
That is the chibur from Rabbi Meitan Talmud, not the darga from Seichel HaTalmid. Vos vert nisalav and is dakech dor chashpos arav. The truth is that the connection, the bond, the fusing between teacher and student is actually only happening in the highest faculties of the student, the intellect that was ready for this information. But you're not really seeing a, an impact on the student as the student was before he entered into the space and into this engagement. In other words, two things. The student was obviously susceptible and, and ready to receive. So we don't know what kind of ashpah the Rav could have on somebody else. And the student is only really getting touched in that part of himself that is designed for this kind of relationship. But what happens at the time of Matan Torah? That blending of the high and low realities is Allah. First of all, the first thing we have to acknowledge is the lower world that was about to be infused with godliness through Torah was a lowly world. Not only was it lowly in principle, there was a decree, there was a chasm between, there was an impossible gap between the lower world and the higher world. The only way that that threshold was crossed is only because the Abisha can do anything. In any logical reality, there is no way to bring godliness into such a low tachtonim. But the Abisha is not bound by any of those rules or logic. Debisha can prevent whatever would prevent something from happening. He can handle the ultimate paradoxes and therefore create the possibility for something that doesn't make any sense. On the river is base, and therefore that brings us to the second point. The, 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 the connection, and more than connection, the harmony between the high and lower realms that Matantera achieves is not only to touch the higher, more developed, more subtle parts of the world, it's to touch every part of the world, all the way down to the most physical, gashmistika things. So Beratius represents huge divine inspiration that doesn't necessarily change people. In other words, remove the inspiration and the people could fall apart. Noyach represents human input with all of its limitations, Lech Lecha is Avraham Avinu's preparation for Matan Torah, where now it is possible to actually, for those who are suitable to the, the process, you can actually infuse real meaning and godliness into them. And then Matan Torah comes along and says, godliness can be spread in every part of the Tachtonim without exception. So, all four of these different states play out in four different ways that we could serve the Ebishter today. Ein Oifen, there's one approach that people take to their Judaism, which is which would be similar to the primarily Hashem's input in the ten generations from Adam to Noyach. That would be in our world is where the person's complete focus of how they serve Hashem is all in the spiritual, all associated with the Neshama. At Tut Abenit Mit and Guf, pretty much ignoring the physical body. We can't completely ignore the body because you need physical activity in order to do Torah mitzvahs. Fine. 
This person doesn't see that that will have value for the body. The body will help this person facilitate their observance of Torah mitzvahs and their access to Gan Eden. The guf is by him nor anem tsoi the body is just a necessary vehicle we have to use to help the neshama achieve its objectives. For sure, somebody in that headspace is not looking to have a positive impact on the world out there because as long as I'm spiritually connected, that's what counts. One mode of avoidance. And then there's another mode of Avoidah, which is which is completely invested in the material physical experience, much like the period between Noach and Avram Avinu. That's somebody, that's somebody who does engage the physical side of himself. And he even has an impact on the world around him, because he knows that the world has to become a divine home. But that person is not yet ready to go out and sacrifice anything or go beyond what is comfortable or what, beyond what makes sense to do the Ebishas Avoid. It all has to fit into the Tachtonim reality, which is quite narrow. He's not ready to put his life on the line that the world should become Hashem's home. He's just willing to do whatever he feels is correct to do or comfortable to do. That he could feel satisfied that he's discharged his responsibility. Here's an example. He does believe that you have to reach out and you have to try and influence other people that they should also engage in Torah mitzvahs. But he has a clear, like a, a clear protocol that he uses. The Torah tells us, you have to re- rebuke another person. In other words, you've got to set them straight, so to speak. Something he has to do because he was instructed to do it. But he doesn't have the commitment and passion that the Jew should be impacted, that the Jew should be reeled in. He just says, I have to fulfill my obligation to do Mifzoyim, to reach out to somebody else, to say something. That's pretty much like Noach and his generation. Despite the fact that he spent 120 years trying to get a message across to them every single day, he did it because they told him to. So when he turned around and said, I'm sorry, but it didn't work. It never occurred to him that he should go and put his life on the line and confront the Ebershter and say, maybe have compassion. So I did, I did what I had to do. So the first mode of avoid the person says, I'm just, a, I'm just pursuing spiritual objectives over here and that's where my head is. The second person says, I've got to care about the world, but only as far as makes sense to do or is comfortable to do or I can rationalize within Judaism. And then there's a third kind of avoider, which is which would reflect the period of preparation for Matan Torah. Where you can already start to, to sense the connection and the possibility of union between the high and lower realms. 
That's where you find a person who is completely dedicated even to the point of Messias Nefesh. Where it's not about saying I tried my best, it's saying I've got to keep fighting and pushing and going and doing until the world becomes Hashem's home. And that's the world, how much more so the consciousness that this person has that I have to love a fellow Jew. So therefore I have to bring them close. But as much as this person is gung-ho and passionate and out there and going and doesn't want to rest until they've achieved their objective, but there are some limitations. So first of all, the approach is the mavukish is not uftzayben yenem makarav makarav zanim tzeteira mitzvus. First of all, the approach is let me get that person to elevate, to improve, to to to, to transform. Aber nita tzetrogenkeit so yenem v'yashteit in sein tachnah matzav, but not that I should go and really get my hands dirty in that person's world. It's like the teacher who says, the student is a student who's a good student, so I'm going to invest in him. The student is not so smart. Leave that for somebody else. So number one, he doesn't want to go into the world of that person and really get deeply you know, into his space. And also he wants to make sure this is somebody who is a Kaylee. Exactly like we saw with a teacher student. First of all, he wants the student to be elevated to his reality. That's the anticipation. And the only reason that any of it worked for the, for the teacher was because the student was a smart student who was perfect candidate. Which is the only level of avoider that was available at that time. He did what he needed to do. Absolute mysterious nefesh for his generation. To impact them and get them to recognize and publicize that the Abishta is the source and the, the reality of everything. As Welt is Elikus. To acknowledge that existence is godliness. And Avram Avinu was so committed and so willing to sacrifice that he risked his life confronting Hashem to ask for mercy for Anshay Sodom. But, but there was a caveat. Save the people of Sodom if they have Tzadikim. In other words, for... Um, there have to be people over there who are refining, elevating, helping the space. As soon as Avram Avinu becomes aware of the fact that they are not ten tzaddikim in that entire environment, which means it's not a place that has access to tshuva, automatically he doesn't push any further. This is a student who's not capable of being taught. Aferta oifen is, so then you have the fourth way 
to serve Hashem, which we are supposed to do, is where the love we have for the next person is not just that we care about them and we want to elevate them and we want to bring them on board, but we love them as we love ourselves. Where the love is core and essential to who we are and is totally independent of any considerations. And that's why the person is absolutely dedicated to the fellow Jew. Even when his mind tells him that that person has nothing going for them. They have no saving graces. Why does the person reach out? Not because maybe if I'm good to this person and I show them love, maybe we'll draw them close to Hashem. I reach out to my fellow Yid because I care for and love that fellow Yid like myself. That reflects this massive innovation of the giving of the Torah, bringing together the high and the low realities. You don't first have to upgrade or clean up or educate the Tachtonim and only then invest Elyonim into them. It's Tachtonim as they are, boots and all. That's Moshe Rabbeinu's approach. Moshe Rabbeinu, of course, being the ambassador of bringing Torah to the world. Which is why the Torah is called after him. He didn't have any preconditions. I'm only willing to defend people if there are the right kind of people around. The people who rejected Hashem in the most outright way, he stood up for them. And he did so in such a way that he completely risked himself. If this isn't going to work, remove me from the entire story. As the Gemara tells us, Moshe Rabbeinu was unwilling to budge until the Ebesh just said he's going to forgive the Eden. And that's how we're supposed to behave. Now with all of that information, we can understand why it is that Avraham Avinu's preparation to set the stage for the giving of the Torah could only begin after Lech Lecha had happened. And that's why it's that part of the story that gets told in the third parish. Everything about Avraham Avinu before that doesn't belong in this parish. Lech Lecha is the catalyst. Why? As long as a person's motivation to turn our world into Hashem's home is is driven by the person's own self. To say, I have a role to fulfill and I, I've got to do it. That will limit the person's impact on the world. He has an example. person who reaches out to try and encourage another yid to do another mitzvah because the Torah says so. Even if he does so a hundred times because that's the double expression that even if you have to repeat yourself a hundred times and he did. A hundred rebukes to fulfill my obligation is not nearly as impactful, meaningful, or aligned with what Hashem wants as one rebuke because I care about the person like I care about myself.
in order to have the impact on the world. Even to impact the world to the extent that Avram Avinu did before Matan Torah. And especially when you're talking about Avram Avinu in the stages of preparing for the giving of the Torah, in order to have that impact, you need one critical introductory step. Got to go out of what you know, out of what you're familiar with, out of what you understand. On Ares came from Dagon and Metzias, and most importantly, out of the sense of self. Which means that person has to be willing to abandon their own interests and regilusen their person's own habits, midois, their feelings, unseichel, their understanding, even the holy ones, even the ones that, that um, originate from the nefesh elikis. So lech lecho is the launch pad to do what Hashem wants. Leave what we expect, what we know, what we want, etc. And now we can understand why, even though most of Pasha's Bereshus is so positive, and the end of Pasha's Noach is on a happy note, still is the Emes Freilicha Vochizober, Dafke Pasha's Lechlecha. Only Lechlecha is the truly joyous week. Why? What's joy got to do with anything we've discussed? So the nature of joy is that Simcha is Peretz Geder. Simcha breaks barriers on the river. Now it makes all perfect sense. Parashas Bereshis. Vibaldas Simcha from the Seder is why is there joy in Parashas Bereshis? Because the Ebisha did amazing things, created worlds, created beings. That's why the Simcha. That's not true Simcha. Because look, an amazing thing happened at the time of creation. From absolute nothing, a whole existence came into being. Which obviously implies that there's a dimension of godliness over here that is beyond the reality of Yesh, defined existence. And Ayan existence that doesn't that doesn't exist that means there's, that, why is the simcha here because we've broken barriers that out of ayin comes yesh you've broken something that doesn't that, that, that was previously restricted ayin couldn't become yesh still the world and its reality at the time of, of Bereshis is given it all exists because of the Abish's constant input. There's a limit. There is nothing that the world inputs at that point that makes it viable. It's the Abish who makes the world viable. So that indicates that we haven't truly torn down the barriers between iron the infinite reality of Hashem, and yes, the finite reality of the world. On the river is not simcha b'shleimusa, so the world cannot yet have true simcha. Adonai says when he gets him safe from Parshas Noach. Likewise, the end of Parshas Noach. Yes, it's later. Avram Avinu. Avram is born. Who would go on to become the first person to start tearing down the barriers between the high and lowest realms? In other words, poets get there. 
As we Dan is not need given Dachon a Befoyal because at that stage it was only all in theoretical potential and nothing had actually started in practice. Because as we've already identified, the process of preparing the world for Matan Torah only began at the moment of Lech Lecha, breaking out of self. So it can't be true Simcha because you haven't yet broken out. But when you get to Parshas Lech Lecha, which is now truly preparing the world for bringing the high and low realms together, which means to break every possible rule and barrier in existence. That's the truly joyous week of the three. And of course the message for us is when we do the Havoida of Chibur Leonim Atachtonim, like Avram Avinu and certainly much more importantly like Moshe Rabbeinu, that will also bring absolute Simcha to us and absolute Brocha and be all the Gedorim of Golos and bring us Moshiach now.